7 o'clock. Thanks for joining us this morning, Jim and the Buckeye Boy. From the Bozart Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. Always appreciate you starting your day with us here on the Team Sports Network. Busy night last night in high school basketball with Fruta, Central, Montrose, and Delta all in action last night. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for Fruta Monument, yeah. unfortunately for everybody else, the Wildcats the only one to move on to the next round. Fruta Monument into the 6A Sweet 16 with a thrilling win over Fairview last night. We'll hear from uh, Jake Aguirre coming up later on, Wildcats head coach. Also, John Sedanich. Uh, you had the, the central game last night. Mm-hmm. Tough way to lose. Yeah. 13-point lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they, and, they just went really cold at the end there. And they had a couple of shooters get loose for Palmer. Uh, kid off the bench hit a trio of three-pointers. And... Uh, their leading scorer, the Jameer Satchel kid, fouled out, but I, I don't think he's necessarily their best player. They got a kid named Jackson Weber who's just a sophomore but can really, really get a good shot off pretty much every time he has the ball. Cam Redding, good game, 15 points yeah. last night. He had a good game. Santana Martinez played really well in the second half. He went down in the first half. It looked like the way he walked off the court, he wasn't going to be able to come out. But he came out, didn't look any worse for wear. Braylon Scott had some good moments. Jackson Amos with a big third quarter to help them get that big lead. Central scored 27 points in the third. They just gave it all back in the fourth. So I've got some thoughts last night on the uh, first night of the state basketball tournament. Fruity gets a thrilling victory. Austin Reed with a buzzer beater shot to beat Fairview last night. Montrose, unfortunately, they lose to Harrison last night. Delta, they were they were the 32nd seed. Mm-hmm. They, if you're Rob Ames, you were, you were glad you got in, but uh, went over to Kent Denver, and it was a, a rough night for the Panthers last night. And we also had Colorado Mesa basketball last night, too. Yeah, lots let's going throw, on. Let's throw that on top as well. Maverick women did not play well at all in the first quarter last night. Taylor Wagner going to his bench last night. Mavericks cannot afford. They're they're in a difficult spot right now. They're in the, the seventh spot in the RMAC tournament right now, mm-hmm. but they could easily play themselves out of it. Got to win at Western tonight. Emory Wagstaff's played really well for them as of late. We talked to Taylor Wagner about that. Bring some of the sound from uh, last night's postgame. Maverick men get their uh, revenge on Westminster. Remember the Griffins snapped the Mavericks' 10-game winning streak when they went to Salt Lake City. And uh, the Maverick men just cruising last night in the second half. A convincing uh, victory behind a great effort once again from Blaze Street. So now the Mavericks go to Western tonight with a chance to sweep the week and then sit back and see what happens with Fort Lewis. Mm-hmm. Mavericks are half game back. Fort Lewis has Colorado School of Mines coming in Friday. Metro State Saturday. They stumble. Mavericks are hosting yeah. the Armac basketball tournament over at Brownson. And you talked about the women, the Lady Mavericks. They're half game up on CSU Pueblo right now. Two up or a game and a half up on UCCS. 
they only have that one game. They have Western tonight because That's of it. the way they set their schedule up. They're done with the regular season tonight. No one else plays until tomorrow and Friday. So both teams, CSU Pueblo, UCCS, know exactly what they're going to have to do over the course of the weekend, which for the Mavericks, you can set the bar, right? But with that comes the chance that you set the bar as low as it possibly could be for they both just have to win a couple games and get in. So it's just kind of the way this wonky scheduling has worked out is there's no not going to be really any scoreboard watching, but you're going to be sitting in the clubhouse while everybody else is still out on the course. Right. And, and for the Maverick men, this is a good thing. It's it's not a bad yeah. thing at all. Because they're it, at home either way. Yeah. It's because just whether they're going to be the number one seed or not. Whether they're going to get to host the, the, the semifinals yeah. and, 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 of course, the championship game. But, yeah, for the women, it, it could be a nail-biting weekend. Mm-hmm. Just watching what's going to happen with uh, CSU Pueblo and UCCS and whether or not uh, they can hold on to that that spot in the top eight for the RMAC Women's Basketball Tournament. All right, so uh, they'll both Maverick teams at Western tonight, so important mm-hmm. games. So we'll have them here on the team. CMU Sports Network presented by Ken Richards State Farm Insurance. 5-15 pregame tonight for the women. They tip it at 5-30 men at 7-30 tonight for that one. Uh, our plan is still to have Ethan Jordan heading up there yeah. to do those games tonight from uh, Paul Wright Gymnasium in Gunnison. And I shouldn't say no one else. But I guess Black Hill State and Shadron play tonight. Same deal as the Mavs schedule Wednesday, Thursday, which is still just kind of weird. But they play tonight, so the Mavs are going to kind of be scoreboard watching because they are tied with Black Hills for that second seed right now, too. Right. So there's there's important games or important game tonight. To play for, for both teams. Uh, exactly. And so for the Maverick men, they could, like you said, they, they mm-hmm. going into last night, they could be anywhere from first to fourth. Yeah. In the the seating for the RMAC tournament, and so important to go to Western, get a win there tonight for the Ma- for the Maverick women. They, look, it's it's a must win for the men in hopes of hosting the entire tournament. Mm-hmm. They're in; they'll they'll do no worse than fourth, right? And and so they they're in a much much more advantageous position right now. I mean, the the women they they They've really gotta need, have it. They, they got to win tonight. Yeah, I mean, otherwise. That's saying they won't get in, but the chances of getting in are going to be diminished dramatically mm-hmm. if they lose tonight. Yeah, and it kind of put them in a bad spot the way they started last night, right? Being down 22-11 after the first quarter, never really able to overcome that deficit. Kind of put them in the hole where they absolutely have to win. I mean, they it would have been nice to get the sweep. You would have liked to get the first one from Westminster and then you know, have a little bit of breathing room exactly. heading, heading to Gunnison, but now you really don't. You don't have very much breathing room at all. This is legitimate must-win territory. Because and, and let us not forget, Western came yeah. into Brownson, got that buzzer-beater win against the Mavericks, and so mm-hmm. for Western, I mean, they, uh, you know, outside of playing spoiler, I mean, that's that's where they, that's all that's at stake for Western tonight. Right. The only hope you get for the Mavs is UCCS and CSU Pueblo, the teams that are behind you by half and one and a half games, they do play each other tomorrow night. Right. So you're going to get one knock the other out, hopefully. (laughs) But you you don't want to knock yourself out by going to Western tonight and losing. Yeah, you don't want to have to have 
UCCS beat CSU Pueblo, and then both teams lose on Saturday. Because that's that's a tough needle to thread, especially when you have no control over it. So you right. got to get this one tonight. That's why last night hurt. Hurt. In a big, big way. All right, so text or call us, 970-242-1340. Go around the NFL coming up at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Matt Patricia has now been interviewed by the Broncos. Current assistant coach for Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots. Didn't he call the offensive plays? He was... Remember Bill? We don't really have titles here. We don't really have titles. Except me. I'm the head coach. He was essentially the offensive quarter. Remember there was the friction, allegedly, with him and Mac Jones this last season. Can't imagine why with Matt Patricia <laughs> being a defensive coach. But Patricia was an offensive assistant in 2004. Before this, that's where he got his start in New England. He didn't start on the defensive side. He coached the offensive line, and then he coached the linebackers and safeties. And then he took over as the defensive coordinator for the Patriots. Mm -hmm. They're D.C. from 2012 to 2017 before he, he got hired by the Lions, and that turned into a disaster. When he was the defensive coordinator for New England, they ranked in the top 10 in points allowed every year. They were the top unit in 2016. Here's the thing, though. It's a little bit like Eric Bieniemy. How much of that's Belichick? Right. Like it is with Bieniemy in the offense in Kansas City. How much of it's Andy Reid? How much of that was Bill Belichick? With his fingerprints on the defense in New England. Because when Patricia went to Detroit, mm-hmm. you're thinking, okay, defense is probably still going to be pretty good, right? It's going to carry over the... The hallmarks of all the great defenses that he had. Yeah, the yeah. personnel may not be the same, but 16th, 22nd, and 32nd. Because wasn't it Romeo Crennel? He was also uh, a defensive coordinator for the Patriots. Top-ranked scoring defense. Second, 17th. Yeah. Second, fourth, eighth, fifth, eighth. And couldn't do anything as a head coach, much like Matt Patricia. And so the question becomes about Matt Patricia – like it is mm-hmm. about Eric Bieniemy, how much is that? How much of the success is linked to the guy that's the head coach? Because the guy that's the head coach in both those places, New England, Belichick, Reed, and Kansas City, yeah. known for great defense, great offense, and the head coaches play a role in that. To use a wrestling term, they're getting the rub from the head coach, but they're not able to do anything with it on their own. Right. And the enemy, we don't know yet. We don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out more now that he's but in Washington. Defensive coordinators for the Patriots usually don't do well when they strike out on their own. In this case, he's not striking out on his own. He'll be Denver's defensive coordinator right. for Sean Payton. But it's another interesting name that's been added to Vance Joseph and Rex Ryan. Mm-hmm. Chris Richard. Richard's the one that and we're going to talk with... Um, Cody Rourke on tomorrow's show. Cody couldn't join us Wednesday, and uh, he's going to talk. He'll talk with us tomorrow at eight twenty uh, about Chris Richard because he was the DC in Seattle when Seahawks beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl. He's got replaced Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator there, and he's been in Dallas. He was in New Orleans this past season as a uh, secondary coach, assistant secondary coach. Kind of an, an interesting name, younger guy. That's had some successes, obviously had some success as a defensive coordinator 
in the National Football League. So we'll talk with him about some of these names tomorrow and about Matt Patricia possibly being on the staff for Sean Payton in Denver. And uh, Sean Payton is definitely taking his time, being very deliberate in terms of who he selects to be on his staff. And I think... I, I like I like the fact that he's being very picky and he's mm-hmm. casting a wide net and he's talking to a lot of different guys, everybody from a Matt Patricia to a Rex Ryan to a Sean Desay to to a, a Chris Richard, talking to a lot of different guys, guys that have had experiences DCs, guys that haven't done it for a while, like a Rex Ryan, to guys that have had success in the league and are younger coordinator, assistant, defensive coaches. Still looking for who's going to be the OC, but come on, we know where most of that's going to come we know from. Who's going to call the plays? That's yeah. going to come from one Nathaniel Sean Payton. Oh. No, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Those are fighting words in these parts, there, Mister. <laughs> Settle down. Settle down. Okay, so a busy show in the garage. NASCAR Fred brought to you by Montrose Ford Nissan. That's coming up later on this morning as well at around nine forty. Okay, it's nine or seven thirteen. Not nine thirteen. Final hour already. We're we're, nice. we're we're into the final hour, seven thirteen, and it's time for what's happening. Brought to you by Nathan, the folks over at Comwest, your technology partner. They help business owners grow their business by providing quality, reliable, personalized technology solutions that support and secure their business technology consistently and professionally. If you need help with network support, cybersecurity, surveillance, business phone systems, backup, and disaster recovery. They have you covered. They put on our new business phone system here at the radio station. We love it. It's fantastic. And they can upgrade your system as well with a brand new phone system. Thanks to ComWest. Give them a call today. 970-242-8142. All right. What's happening this morning? A lot of high school basketball last night. But first, we'll start off with the thing we were just talking about. We want your reaction on today, by the way, on the Chick-fil-A breakfast team phone line, 970-242-1340. Add Matt Patricia's name to the list of coaches interviewed by the Broncos to be their next defensive coordinator. The Denver Post reports the former Detroit head coach and current New England assistant coach has interviewed with the Broncos to be their next defensive coordinator. Patricia worked with the Patriots' offense this past season, but uh, was New England's defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2017. During his time there, he won four Super Bowls. And uh, during that period, the Patriots' defense was in the top 10 in points allowed and led the league in 2016. New Denver coach Sean Payton has also interviewed former Jets and Bills coach Rex Ryan, former Broncos head coach Vance Joseph, Seattle defensive assistant Sean Desay, and current New Orleans secondary coach Chris Richard. Richard was also Seattle's defensive coordinator when the Seahawks beat the Broncos in Super Bowl 48. Last night in the 6A Boys State Basketball Tournament, the Southwestern League champion Fruit Monument Wildcats hosted Boulder Fairview. Wildcats come up with a 60-58 win thanks to a last-second buzzer beater by Austin Reed. Reed had 10 points to the Wildcats. Max Orchard, though, led the way with 17. And Daniel Thomason had 16 for Fruit Monument. The Knights were led by Miles and Elliott Moskowitz. The brothers combined for 37 of the Knights' 58 points. Wildcats head coach Jake Aguirre says the game was a back-and-forth affair. Yeah, it kind of went that way, kind of both. And any time, I think we only had the lead once, but it seemed like every time they were, it seemed like they were going to pull away. We battled back. Um, it was great. I mean, that was a great game. I'm, I don't even know what to say, honestly. It was a great effort by our boys. That's a great team over there. Great scoring team. Um, 
it was good for our boys to finish out like that. I, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. And here's Aguera on the last possession of the game for Fruita Monument. We actually, that happened to us up in Durango. We didn't handle the ball. We were up by a lot. We didn't handle it well. And we worked that yesterday, and we, we really took it serious, and the boys took it serious to have the ball and to keep it in case we come into a game like this. For them to do it, to handle it, to be strong with the ball, and then to run a play. That wasn't even the play. I know. Just so you know, we don't get any credit. That was our boys improvising and, and running and playing basketball together. Wildcats now wait the winner of Smoky Hill and Rocky Mountain. Those two teams play at 7 o'clock tonight in Aurora. Last night, the 5A Boys State Tournament Central played host to the Palmer Terrors, but lost 67-65. The Warriors finished the year 16-7. Central had the ball for a last-second shot to tie the game, but came up empty. Cam Redding led the Warriors with 15 points. Coach John Sedanich on the lead, the Warriors squandered in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't, you got to make free throws. I, it's been our nemesis all year, and it just caught up to us. I, when you got to play defense every time and you don't score, it's hard. Sedanich says the team fought hard, but just missed missed out on too many opportunities last night against Palmer. Yeah, it's hard. Um, literally almost a fight, actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, we got a bunch of competitors, and um, they'll look back on this and realize that there were some missed opportunities tonight. The season's over for the Montrose and Delta Boys basketball teams. Both lost in the first round of their respective state tournaments. The Red Ox fell to Harrison 47-32 in the 5A tournament with Montrose center Caleb Ferguson scoring 16. The loss of Panther Boys lost at Kent Denver 96-41 in the 4A tournament. Last night, Carver Mesa women's basketball team dropped one at home to Westminster, losing 62-49. to Mavs were led by Olivia Reed, who scored 13 points, but it was a solid bench effort that head coach Taylor Wagner saw as a positive takeaway in the loss last night. Yeah, they played hard, and I, I was happy for them. They came in, they did exactly what we wanted to do, and that's compete. And, you know, it's too bad we didn't show up in that first quarter because we got in a, in a little hole that we just couldn't get out of. Maverick men got their revenge against Westminster. Mavericks dominating the Griffins last night, 92-68. to If you remember, a few weeks ago, Mavericks went to Salt Lake City and had their 10-game winning streak snapped by Westminster. Blaze 3 led the way. Game high, 24 points. Owen Kuntz had 15 points, including three three-pointers. Both Maverick basketball teams wrap up the regular season tonight in Gunnison when they take on the Mountaineers. And Mavs head coach Mike DeGeorge is expecting the Mountaineers to play some aggressive basketball tonight against CMU. Yeah, we got another big one tomorrow. Western will play absolutely their tails off, and they'll take a great effort. So it's good we got to get guys out a little early, but it's going to be a big challenge tomorrow. Coverage on the team. CMU Sports Network starts at 5.15 tonight with a women's pregame. They tip it at 5.30 minutes, 7.30 tonight. And it's brought to you by Ken Richards State Farm Insurance. And that's a look at... What's happening? Brought to you by ComWest, your technology partner. If you're looking for help with a new business phone system, also, if you need help in regard to network support, surveillance, they have you covered. Give ComWest a call today, 970-242-8142. We'll take a break. We'll come back. And coming up next, the voice of the Buffaloes, Mark Johnson, joins us on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the Team. <laughs> It's time to talk buffs with CU voice Mark Johnson on the Jim Davis Show on the team. Mark Johnson, voice of the Buffaloes, joins us. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Jim, good morning. I 
Always good to be on with you. Always good to chat with you, sir. Uh, for the Colorado Buffaloes, a uh, thrilling win against Arizona State. Unfortunately, last weekend, couldn't back it up with a, uh, with a win at Arizona. The uh, Buffs fall to the Wildcats and a, a disappointing loss after, a, like I said, a great win against the Sun Devils the day before. Yeah, without question. I mean, you know, I thought Colorado played uh, not, not great, but certainly very well against uh, ASU. In fact, finished the first half on an 8-0 run. Got a big shot there from K.J. Simpson to tie it at the half and then had a 17-3 run to wrap things up at the end of the ball game. But, you know, going down to Tucson, that's a tall task for anybody. I don't care who you are. And I thought in that given day, Arizona was right for the picking. They came out had five turnovers in, what, the first uh, couple of uh, two, three minutes. Uh, Colorado got a 12-point lead. But the thing is, when you play a team like that in an environment like that, you don't have to be perfect, but you got to be close, right? And I thought there was a stretch there. After they got the 12-point lead, they're up 18-6 to at that point in time. And then they made a couple of uh, mistakes, had a couple of defensive lapses, which allowed Arizona to hit a couple of big three-pointers. And all of a sudden, the momentum gets going. And in that building, and it, that's one of those rare buildings the McHale Center is. You know, you've got, I think, the Carrier Dome in Syracuse is good. Uh, you've got... Uh, Certainly, I think, uh, you know, uh, Duke's home court, uh, Poly Pavilion can be that way at different times. There, there are different air arenas like that that when he gets rolling on, it's hard to stop. And, and that's what happened. Now, with that being said, uh, the Buffs, you know, had, had a bit of uh, some stumbles, I think, in that first half. We're down by double digits at halftime. Actually won the second half, only a 10-point loss. So I think they, they, they represented themselves well, but it, it just illustrates how near perfect you have to be in a game like that. You can't have those kind of lapses and make silly mistakes and take bad shots with the Buffs that I thought in the first half on a semi-regular basis. They rushed some threes. In that building, when you when you take a quick three in transition and you miss, generally that and, and leads to a long rebound, and that ends up being a pick six on the other end. And you see that so frequently against Arizona. So, you know, I, I think a young basketball team learned a few lessons, uh, you know, played relatively well against Arizona, but not well, certainly not well enough to win in an environment like that. Yeah, certainly from a rebounding standpoint, the the Wildcats only one rebound better, and and so the the Buffs held their own on the on the glass. But when you look at the foul line, I mean that was that was a difference in this one as well. Mark Buffs thirteen of eighteen from the free throw line, but Arizona nineteen of twenty six. That you know you look at that that advantage in terms of made foul shots that uh, played a role in in the loss in that game. Yeah, and, you know that, that's in large part going to happen on the road. I mean, not not often do you go in and. and you know, have a, a free throw advantage over the opposition, but also I think illustrates in aggressiveness. And you know, the kind of team that Arizona is, Ballo is a beast of a human being. Holy cow! I can't believe uh, Gonzaga let him go. Uh, but uh, yeah, he is a monster human being, and he was really a difference maker in that game. Now, Azulis Tabellis, many we've been talking about him being you know potentially the player of the year. There's something not right with him, Jim. Um, you know, the three games, including the Colorado game, he had four points, 11 points, and then he had 13 against Colorado. Uh, the 11-point game was against Utah last Thursday night. Had a moment there where he lost his cool. He kicked the basketball up in the stands. There's something going on with him. He doesn't look right to me. There's something, and, I, and I'm not talking physical. I'm talking about between the years. He's, he's struggling right now, I think, from a mental standpoint. So he wasn't as big a factor in that game as he probably would have been earlier in the season. But uh, the Buffs, you know, they got two seven-footers out there for goodness sakes. And, and uh, you know, Ballo really ended up being a problem for Colorado. And, and when you're doing that kind of thing, when you've got a guy that's forcing the action, and then you look at some of the other players they've got, uh, you know, Pella Larson and Creesa uh, uh, and guys like that that really penetrate and get downhill on you defensively, that then ultimately ends up 
creating foul shot opportunities, which Arizona did very well. Yeah, you mentioned Ballo. I mean, 18 points, 16 rebounds, a double-double. He had six offensive boards to lead them. Yeah, he was uh, a pain in Tad Boyle's backside in that yeah. game last, uh, last weekend. He's just such a monster. I mean, he's seven feet tall. They list him at 260. I, I think that's, that's on the low end. I, I'm thinking he's 270, 275, somewhere. He's just a big, agile human being. And you know, I, we've talked many times about Lawson Lovering being a, a good defensive player, and he is. But you know, for Lawson, who's you know weighing two thirty on a good day at this point in time at seven foot one, and you know, that that's a learning experience. You're you're, you're wrestling with a a grown man out there, and uh, and Lawson, you know, I think asserted himself uh, certainly and played relatively well. But uh, that that's a tough challenge in there, and you know, especially for a Buffs team, you know, you're without Javon Hadley. He's out with a finger injury. And, you know, Javon's only a six foot six guy anyway, but you're, you're really thin in the post right now in the paint. And so that, that everything falls to Lawson. And, and uh, you know, there's, that's, that's a lot of big bodies to be dealing with out there for one guy. And, and uh, like I said, Bob Ballo had a great day, no doubt about that. Well, tonight it's USC at Colorado. The last time out in uh, Southern Cal, it was a 68-61 win for USC. In a game where, where Colorado, from a, from a rebounding standpoint, absolutely dominated the Trojans 44 the 29 of that game, uh, Lawson Lovering had a, a really good game, 13 points, 14 rebounds, a double-double. It's a USC team that uh, right now, look at the, the projections, probably an 11th seed right now in, in the NCAA basketball tournament, Mark. USC a lot to play for here heading down the stretch, heading into the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, they certainly do. I mean, you know, you look at that group right now uh, behind Arizona and UCLA, and you've got USC in there, you've got Utah in there, um, Arizona State's in that group. Colorado would be in that group. Kind of that, that next four, you know, hoping they've got a chance. Like Colorado surely on the outside looking in. But you, you, USC, you know, has got their, their maybe the best opportunity to get into the tournament right now the way things are if they finish strong here. But, you know, Colorado, I'm not saying if Colorado knocks off USC, they're, they're you know, in the driver's seat. I'm just saying they give themselves a chance. If they can run the table these last three ball games, and, and that, that's not a – that's not a crazy thought for them, even though they're playing USC, UCLA, and, and Utah. If they were to do that, they, they can they can certainly at least make an argument if they go and play well in Las Vegas and put themselves back in a conversation, at least for the MIT. So, uh, you know, every game down the stretch here, every single one of these teams they've got to play, all three of those, USC, UCLA, and, and Utah, are meaningful games in, in, in many respects. For UCLA, it's just it's about seeding at this point in time. Uh, but for the other two... Uh, it's about getting into the tournament for Colorado. It's about making at least an argument, trying to put itself into a position heading to Vegas. Maybe they can make some noise there. And so, yeah, there's a lot to play for down the stretch. Mark Johnson, voice of Buffalo, is joining us on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. You mentioned UCLA. They'll be in Sunday. USC, of course, tonight for the Buffs or at the CU Event Center. And when when you look at UCLA, uh, number four team in the nation right now, I'm sure you caught Mick Cronin's comments when the bracket preview came out about – how upset he was that they were not one of the number one seeds. So a little gamesmanship on the part of, of Cronin because he said, look, in the past we've, we've got bad seeds, and look how we've done. We've, we've overperformed our seed. I guess just your takeaway, Mark, and what he had to say about, about not being one of the number one seeds. Well, first off, uh, what you did in the past has nothing to do with your seeding in 2023. Okay? So, so how you've performed in the past, bringing that up has, has absolutely zero credibility in terms of what you've done every year it's supposed to be based on what you've done this season and are you one of the top if he wants to be a number one seed one of the top four seeds teams in the country 
Uh, at this point, can you really look at UCLA and say they're one of the top four teams in America? I, I don't think yeah. anybody with any objective uh, you know, sense makes that kind of comment. Are, are they one of the top eight teams? Nah, they can yeah. maybe make that argument. They're certainly one of the top 12 teams in the country. There's no doubt about that. I'll put them in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was, yeah, gamesmanship might be the right word for that. I think that might be what he was trying to do, at least make an argument, and I understand that. Uh, but, yeah, to think that right now UCLA's a number one seed, you know, are they the best team in their conference right now? I, you can make an argument they're not. Yeah. You can make an argument that UCLA's a more talented team. I think they probably are. Um, in my view, UCLA is a, is a tougher team to put. I had a, by the way, uh, I talked to a lot of I do you know try and talk to a lot of coaches, uh, guys that I've worked with over the years and kind of get their take on things. Um, I talked with a coach late last week as we were about ready to play Arizona, and, and I said, uh, "Your coach, you've got an opportunity to play. You, your choice to play Arizona or UCLA. Who would you rather play?" And he goes, "Oh, UCLA any day." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." Uh, he said, "I think UCLA is more consistent, but but Arizona's." far more talented, far more explosive, and that's a game you can get your tail kicked. Where UCLA, you, you can stay in there and grind with them a little bit. So I, I think that, that's an interesting objective view from a coach that I, I talk to on a, on a regular basis who thinks that UC, or Arizona is the team that scares the daylights out of you. UCLA, they're really good, but they don't scare the daylights out of you. So, you know, there's that. Mark Johnson, voice the Buffalo, is with us today on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. Uh, we asked your... Uh, uh, colleague uh, Brian Roth was the CSU Rams about this, that uh, George Klevikoff, uh, Pac-12 commissioner, met with San Diego State officials. When he went out to cover the Rams game with San Diego State the other night, said, yeah, it's, it's starting to look like at least the people that cover San Diego State, people they talk to at the university, that it's looking more and more likely that San Diego State's going to probably leave the Mountain West and join the Pac-12. Have you heard anything that corroborates that or... Or disputes that at all? Well, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of seeing, you know, reading the same tea leaves everybody else is, and uh, it, it certainly makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering, with what we're seeing uh, regarding the media rights, and, you know, we just saw something here the last few days about Apple being involved, and maybe the media rights deal is going to be a 100% streaming deal. I mean, that should scare the daylights out of everybody in the Pac-12. Uh, and if, if you're getting into it, because, you know, we've talked here in recent years about the enormous failure of Larry Scott and what he was attempting to do and failed miserably at with the Pac-12 network and how that hurt the exposure of the Pac-12 and how that, you know, coaches and administrators throughout the league think that really has hurt this league in terms of recruiting and all sorts of, of different aspects of this league. What do you think would happen to the Pac-12 if this was entirely a streaming deal moving forward? That'd be devastating. Well, yeah, and, and so, um, you know, we can talk about adding San Diego State to the mix and SMU and, or whoever else, Fresno or whoever else they, that's been rumored out there at, at one time or another. You know, you start seeing stuff like that, and I start looking around thinking, okay, who's going to jump? Who's going to leave the conference? You know, I thought Dennis Don had a piece over the weekend I saw, and he was talking about this very topic for CBS Sports, and... You know, he was saying, hey, listen, if this is the way it's going, keep an eye on the four-corner schools jumping to the Pac-12 and maybe uh, Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten and just leaving everybody behind. So um, right now, at least I, in my seat, I'm not sitting here uh, solely focused on who may join the league. I'm thinking to myself, okay, who's going to leave the league right. where everything is going? And so I, I think this thing's pretty volatile right now, and, and uh, you're kind of 
you know, you're, you're kind of standing on, on shifting ground, I think, in this league right now. So it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. I think an Apple streaming deal is fine. It's going to be part. It's going to be part of it, and then we're seeing more of that. But if if it's become if it is the the outlet for Pac-12 sports and it's the primary outlet, they're in, they're in huge trouble. There still has to be a terrestrial and or entity like ESPN involved in this to provide the kind of coverage necessary for this league to survive. And if they can't do that, I, I don't know what the future looks like for the Pac-12. Right, right. You know, and, and listen, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that at some point down the road, and I'm not smart enough to predict when, uh, you know, total streaming deals are going to be the future. Okay, I understand that. But, but is, it, is it 2023? Are you going to be the first one to make that jump? You know, maybe if you're the SEC, you might say, okay, maybe we could do yeah. that. And, you know, we're, we're the leaders right now, and, and we're the strongest conference in, in college uh, football, and, and maybe we could do that. But, but certainly, when you're the Pac-12 and you've been lagging behind here in recent years, and you're trying to make up some ground, I don't think you want to be making that kind of you know, jump at this point in time and, and you know, taking the lid off that deal uh, and, and, and you know, putting yourself in, in that kind of position where you're really not getting exposure at this point in time. I'm not sure that's a wise deal, but maybe that's all that's left out there, which, which is why I think you've got to be careful watching how everyone else is kind of viewing this thing. Mark Johnson, Voice of the Buffalo, is with us. One final thing I want to ask you about, Mark. Uh, Nate Oates, the Alabama coach, the situation involving uh, Brandon Miller, his player, and the gun to the former player uh, that used it in the, the death of a woman. I just, I sat there and watched that the other day, and, and I get it that he didn't have all the information uh, about what was going on, but boy, that sure came off as tone deaf to me. I mean, you know, I know he issued an apology later on a statement through University of Alabama, but boy, that, that was tough to watch because there just didn't seem to be any sympathy for the woman who, who was murdered. It was about, well, my guy's okay. My guy, you know, he's, he's fine. Best player in their their basketball team, yeah. I, I I just boy I don't know I don't know what your takeaway was, it was it was disappointing because it seemed just so tone deaf in the part of of Nate Oates. Well, uh, you know for for somebody and, and you do the same thing that that lives the life behind a microphone or in front of a camera all the time. Uh, I am never ceased to be amazed at the comments that people will make under these circumstances when you're dealing with something that is that sensitive. You know, my, my rule is always, you always, uh, you know, defer to the side of decorum and sensitivity under the circumstances. Always. Always. There's somebody's life that was taken. There is a, a child, I think she had one child, maybe it was more than that, at least one child whose life has been altered because of that. And your group of guys had something to do with it. Now, I don't know what degree, and that's, that's for the authorities and the legal uh, folks to figure out. But I think under those circumstances, yeah, the whole wrong place, wrong time comment, when we know for a fact that there was a text or a phone call and said, hey, bring the gun to me, and that gun was eventually used in a murder, yeah, always defer to the side of extreme sensitivity and decorum at that point. And, you know, something along the lines of, listen, there was a life lost here, and, and I am not going to say anything that's going to overshadow the great sadness and loss for a family that's dealing with that. Um the legal process is unfolding. We're going to cooperate the best we can. Uh, our condolences under the circumstances, and whatever happens down the road here, we'll deal with that at that point in time. But right now, we defer to all that. You know, something along those lines. 
But to come out and make a comment, ah, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, you know, it's kind of kind of a tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like a tough break. Oh, it's just you know, ah, just a you know, poor kid, wrong place, wrong time. You know, it's come on, come on, man. That's that's that was just it was just so cold. You you come across as exactly of of, of having just no sense of reality whatsoever, and and sometimes I think what it does, and this is going to be a, a comment that maybe people be a little shocked by, but what it does, it it, it shows a little bit the cocoon that coaches and athletes live in. And and we put them in. Okay? Mm-hmm. We put them up on a pedestal and, you know, when a coach makes a comment about, oh, we're gonna do things the right way and, and we all just adulation, oh my goodness, do you see he's a good man and just well hold on a second. <laughs> Guess what? Every coach says these things. All right? Every coach says we're gonna do things the right way, we're gonna be this, we're gonna be that, not a lot not. Let's stop elevating them automatically simply because they make a comment. You know, we shall know them by their fruits, right? Let's watch them and see exactly how they act. And, and so, you know, we do that to these men and, and these athletes many times, put them in the cocoon, and that's why. And, and, and we as media, we're always asking them to talk about all sorts of different topics they have no business talking about, but we ask them anyway. And so we put them in a situation, and I think after a time, there's, there's a little bit of a, a callus that builds up that a lot of times these people start to believe that, uh, you know, we're almost untouchable, and, uh, you know, we're in the middle of our little cocoon, and no one's going to say anything about us, we can... Wait a minute here. There's life going on outside your little cocoon there. So let's remember that. Yeah, there, there's more than a basketball season going exactly on right. in, in, in a story like this. Hey, Mark, I always appreciate it. Have a great call tonight on, on the Buffs and USC, and go Buffs. All right. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, take care. All right, Mark Johnson, voice the Buffaloes. Just think about what you're going to say. Yeah. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Show a little compassion, a little caring. It's, that, does, that, does that kill you to do that? Apparently. Anyway, 7.40. Time to move on. And it's also time for sound check. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Well, once again, coming up in April, the NFL draft, and an Ohio State quarterback who is a Heisman finalist, at some point during his career will be talked about and discussed and coming up later this month poked and prodded at the combine and he'll predictively probably fail in the nfl as a quarterback but wow well i mean i'm not wrong i know the 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 history does does scream that greg cosell noted football mind was on ross tucker's football podcast talking about that very point about how good the team around the quarterback is, usually at Ohio State, sets them up to fail in the NFL. C.J. Stroud is throws the ball really, really well. He's he's um, I wouldn't say as a gun, but he can make every single throw. He has a great feel for pace and touch, um, which is a really important trait. See, there's there's a more refined, subtle trait that is really important to have. Someone like Anthony Richardson does not have a feel for pace and touch. He can't really feather and layer throws when it's demanded. And, you know, a lot, let's say you're throwing a shallow cross. You can't throw that 100 miles an hour. Um, Stroud has a really natural feel for what kind of throw is required, and he can make those throws. Um, the question you always face with quarterbacks at um, Ohio State, and this is not Ryan Day's fault. His job is to win games at Ohio State, is – the quarterbacks at Ohio State are rarely under any pressure, and the system is so good that the the throws are really well-defined and clear. 
And, you know, then when they get to the NFL, it's not quite that simple. Um, and we've seen Ohio State quarterbacks at times struggle with that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying C.J. Stroud will or won't. That's just, as I said, these are all conversations that will be had in meetings as teams now start their draft preparation and go to the combine. There you go. Yeah. C.J. Stroud can make all the throws. He's just probably not going to in the NFL, unfortunately for me. But he also makes another point that Ryan Day is there to win games at Ohio State, yeah. not turn out professional quarterbacks. Same could be said about Steve Spurrier. Yeah. And Shane Matthews, Danny Werfel won a Heisman. Danny Werfel didn't exactly have a stellar NFL career. Yeah. It's about, for those guys, about winning football games. And it's not about developing guys for the NFL. Nick Saban. Nick Saban. His quarterbacks, J.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy. You know, I mean, you know, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts and Tua for yeah. a time there. So, <laughs> so you yeah. know, the ledger starts to balance out a little bit yeah. when it comes to that. I mean, you throw 100 guys in the pros every four years, you're bound to have a couple good pros there. Exactly. And at the quarterback spot, that's not always been the for case. For every but Trent Richardson, there's a Derrick Henry. <laughs> exactly. 744. And uh, Kyle Crowder, Delta Panthers girls basketball coach, will join us next on the Jim Davis Show. Stay by the radio. You are listening to the Jim Davis Show on the team. 101 FM, 1340 AM, Grand Junction. Get in the huddle with Delta girls basketball coach Kyle Crowder on the team. Kyle Crowder brought to you by the Rick Nelson Agency and American Family Insurance. For a free comparison, call this team of licensed professionals at 970-241-0078. He's the coach of the Western Slope League champion Delta Panther girl basketball team. With us right now, Kyle Crowder. Kyle, appreciate the time. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on today. Good uh, opening victory for your basketball team in the 4A state tournament. Uh, home cooking is always good. And with that 12-0 league mark, 18-5 and overall, uh, you were able to, uh, of course, uh, get to host in the first round, facing off against Englewood in a game where your team clearly dominated from, from the jump in that basketball game. Uh, a, a dominant performance uh, by your girls in that win against Inglewood. I mean, you you guys almost scored 100 points in that game, which is, I just think, impressive. 91-36 victory. Uh, obviously, on the offensive end, everything went right for you on Tuesday night. It was. It was a pretty special night. You know, we had uh, a lot of kids that were able to score. Every, every single kid that got in the game played um, and scored. So we had kids come in, and they were just getting good shots. Uh, I felt like that everybody was really effective from the outside. And, uh, you know, we're a team that shares the ball extremely well. So, you know, not only were those shots that the kids were hitting, but they were also assisted shots. So, I mean, it's a pretty special thing right now what's kind of going on. Um, the team is 100% about each other. And I think that's, you know, that's been kind of a key to our success so far this year. And, and I'm excited to see, you know, how far we can go. Obviously shot the ball well. Able to turn over Englewood quite a bit defensively. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, Tatum Miller and, and uh, Kylie Huff start for, for us at the top on our zone, and uh, they just kind of dominate, you know, and, and both of those girls scored double digits. Kylie had 21, and Tatum had 17. Um, but, you know, it's kind of plug-and-play, so the next kids come off the bench. Bailey Wilson came in off the bench and scored 12. Um, you know, and, and then the rest of the girls, they were all in the 7, 8, 9 range. Um, so, you know, it just didn't matter who was coming in into the game. They were doing their job. We're able to create some of those scoring opportunities with our defense, um, you know, and it, and it's a pretty fun style of basketball. So I'm I'm really excited to see what these kids are doing. Sixteen game winning streak. 
You really haven't been challenged much, really, since the Montrose game. Pros uh, and cons, yeah, pros and, yeah, pros and cons on that, Kyle, as far as not not really playing a close game since that one point win. You know the the thing that we have had all along. You know that we we came out and we lost um, five games early. You know, kind of our RPI dropped. We weren't getting much credit. Um, there wasn't a lot of people looking our way. Um, but we knew that down the stretch we had a chance to win it out, you know, from, from the Christmas break. And so, you know, it's just kind of been an uphill battle. But I think it gave the kids a little bit of motivation, you know, like, hey, we've got to get one more win. We're going to move up a little bit. Um, you know, because ultimately we get those home games. You know, this, this week having those two home games is huge for us. Um, but, you know, some of those games, it was a really great opportunity for our young kids to get in and get some experience. Um, plus, you know, those, those older girls that are, you know, the starters, they, they're so unselfish, you know, they were just excited for those other kids to have success in those, um, kind of, uh, lopsided wins. So it's just really been a fun season and, and, uh, the kids are just doing a great job right now. Kyle Crowder, coach of the Delta Panthers girls basketball team with us, uh, coming out that convincing win against Inglewood and now at home against Severance for a Friday night matchup. With the Silver Knights, uh, they play that combined 5A, 4A, Long's Peak League, where Roosevelt, a really good team in, in the 5A ranks uh, that, that Central lost to last year in the in the postseason. They finished uh, the season 17-1, and 22-2, and two, uh, heading into the postseason. So Severance, they're, they're 7-11, 9-15 overall. They play in a really, really tough conference. And so I think if you look at the record, and it's not, it doesn't, you know, impress you, but when you look at who they play in that league and how good it is, Northridge, a really good program in that league as well, that uh, they played some really good competition. It is, you know, and, and this time of year it gets a little deceptive and, and definitely, you know, with the seat teams, it's it's based on your wins. Um, so I think they're definitely a good team. You know, we're, we're trying to prepare as much as we can. We've got a little bit of film on them and we kind of know some of the tendencies they've got. So uh, we're definitely not overlooking a team like this just because they're ranked low. Um, doesn't mean that they're an inferior team. Um, you know, they're they're pretty athletic. They shoot the ball well from the outside. They kind of change it up on defense. So we've got a pretty good idea of what we've got to do. But, you know, having that as a home game, I think, is a huge advantage for us. And, you know, we're playing with a lot of confidence right now. The kids are shooting the ball really well and, and uh, just working really well as a unit on defense. So I'm excited for our chances. And, uh, you know, I think he's a good opportunity coming up on Friday. Delta Panther girls basketball coach Kyle Crowder joining us today. Atley Helzer for them. Their leading score at 18.5 points per game. They also have Reese Yawn, the sophomore, that's averaging just under 11 points per game. She's their leading rebounder, about 6.4 boards per contest. Uh, give us a scouting report on on Helzer and Yawn and, and Severance. You know, like I said before, they, they definitely like to shoot the three. Um, they're, they're poetic. I wouldn't say that they're uh, an extremely... Um, you know, just like like a single person has to be dialed in on. You know, I know that uh, those two girls are definitely their better scorers, but everybody on their team can score. So we've got to keep an eye on every one of them. They like to dribble, penetrate a little bit, and kick it, um, and, and they'll take quite a few threes from the side. Um, so we just got to make sure that we just try to match their, their intensity and, and go out there and make sure that we can take care of our, ourselves, you know, do the things that we do best and run on the floor and, and show out. Um, then when we get those outside looks, if we just continue ball well, I think that's going to bode well for us. Yeah, you're right. They've hit 99 threes this season. Helzer, she leads away with 56. She's tempted 153 threes this season. So, yeah, you're right. They they do love the three-point line, don't they? They do. They do. And, you know, it, it's, it's 
stats like that. And most of those girls shot more than our entire team has shot this year. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a different style of basketball. You know, if we can if we can defend like we have, you know, we're long on defense and we can get to the shooters pretty well. Um, plus our speed helps. You know, we've got a lot of really athletic kids. So I think that we can run them off the three-point line a little bit. And, and a few, we know that. You know, but if we can uh, rebound well and, and kind of our opportunities, I think that that's going to be a, a benefit for us as well. All right, a lot of the game coming up tomorrow night over on the Monkey, uh, which, by the way, uh, 97.1 in Delta. Delta girls take on Severance. Pre-game at 545. Mark Cantrell out of the call. Tip-off at 6 on the Monkey tomorrow night for that one. The second round of the uh, 4A Girls' State Basketball Tournament. Kyle, I appreciate you hopping on with us today. Thanks, and, and good luck tomorrow night. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Right, take care. Kyle Crowder, coach of the Delta Panther girls basketball team. 16-game winning streak. I mean, they really, since that one point win over Montrose, they've, they've not been challenged. And now they take on, on Severance in the next round. Talk to our buddy Curtis Beetleman, who lives over in the area. His boys go to Severance, and he says they're okay. He tends to like Delta's chances. Watching Severance play a few times. Yeah, they've they've not lost this year. <laughs> Which is very, we're very ending the month next week. And it's <laughs> the second one. Exactly. All right. So coming up next hour, we'll go around the NFL. We'll also have our Scotty's Complete Car Care Center Athlete of the Week joining us at 840. We'll uh, leave that a surprise, as always, about who the Athlete of the Week is. We'll have that coming up next hour. Matt Patricia is interviewed for the Broncos defensive coordinator job. Your reaction to that today. Chick-fil-A Breakfast Team phone line 970-242-1340.